as I mentioned, our scripture today is about receiving bread, a kind of bread, in a moment of crisis. Our scripture today is from Exodus 16, 1 to 18. The whole community, Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Sin Desert, which is located between Elam and Sinai. They set out on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The whole Israelite community complained to Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, oh, how we wish the Lord had just put us to death when we were still in Egypt. There we could sit by pots of cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out to the desert to, a, to starve this whole assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as what they have collected on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out from Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the Lord's glorious presence because your complaint Complaints against God have been heard. Who are we? Why blame us, Moses continued. The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning because the Lord has heard the complaints that you made against him. Who are we? Your complaints aren't against us, but against God. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole Israelite community, come near to the Lord because the Lord has heard your complaints. And Aaron spoke to the whole Israelite community, and they turned to look at the desert, and just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will have your fill of bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, a flock of quail flew down and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the desert surface were thin flakes, thin as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Collect as much of it as you can eat, one omer per person, you may collect for the number of people in your household. The Israelites did as Moses said, some collecting more, some collecting less. But when they measured it out by the omer, the ones who had collected more had nothing left over. And the ones who had collected less had no shortage. Everyone collected just as much as they could eat. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, Thanks be to God. Having been liberated 
from slavery in Egypt, the whole community of the Israelites begins to foolishly long for a return to slavery. Now, I say foolishly, but honestly, I think that one of the major points of this story is how relatable and understandable their complaining is. This is their second uproar since their liberation from slavery. The first for water, the second for bread. They're not exactly asking for luxury items. Water and bread. They've been free of freed from slavery, yet wandering in the wilderness for six weeks at this point. So you might recall at the start of the reading, there was sort of a timestamp. Uh, it tells us that they were out of slavery and in the wilderness for six weeks. And whatever provisions they had managed to pack up and take with them when they were leaving their captors were clearly running low. I have been dehydrated and hangry and upset with myself for not having planned better for like maybe a meal or like a few hours, maybe a day at most when I have not adequately provisioned myself. And I cannot imagine wandering in a wilderness with thousands of people and not knowing where our ongoing supply of water and food was coming from if it was going to come at all. Very specifically in this story, we hear the Israelites remembering and longing for what in some translations is called the flesh pots of Egypt. And flesh pots are apparently these large metal cauldrons used by Egyptians to boil meat. The Israelites had very real visions of the flesh pots of Egypt. They could remember what they looked like, what the boiling meat in those pots smelled like, they had a recent memory of what a full belly felt like. A titillating yet unreachable carrot in the eye of the wilderness hunger storm. And so they complain hangrily and so very relatably and understandably. While they did entertain visions of the Egyptian flesh pots and longing to have just died while they were there, and some ways who can blame them? They did not stay inside their tents and moan and groan and refuse to face the wilderness at all. They emerged from their tents to complain. And in response, Moses has Aaron tell the people, draw near to your God who has heard your complaining. Draw near, come, and they do, they draw near near enough to behold the glory of God in the form of a cloud. It's the first sign that they see. And then the next morning, the layer of dew that had settled on the whole camp lifts, revealing this fine, flaky substance, fine as frost on the ground. And again, they draw near. They draw near enough to see the strange flakiness, and they ask, what is it? Manna. What is it? Last week, we learned that God's name is a verb. And this week, we learned that manna is a question. In Hebrew, manna is a question. 
Manna means literally, what is it? The Israelites were certainly perplexed by this strange flaky substance on the ground. They were probably skeptical too, but what we know is that they came close enough to see it and to ask, manna? A question, what is it? Manna, the daily bread that was rained down on a wilderness wandering people. Manna, the Hebrew object lesson in demonstrating trust in the dailiness of God's provisions. Manna, which has come to be our sort of colloquially used metaphor for daily sustenance. Manna means literally, what is it? It's a question. Manna is the question, and ancient Hebrew storytellers have left us with a narrative in which manna is also the answer. Strange. Manna? What is it? It is manna. Question and answer. How does that happen? How does manna the answer manage to answer manna the question? Well, I think it's that drawing near. It's because in order to ask the question, in order for the Israelites to have seen that which was strange and unknown and worthy of a question, they needed to have gotten close enough to see it. They needed to have drawn near. And if one is willing to draw near, to approach, to encounter something that's unknown, and then to pose a question about that unknown, one might just be close enough and prepared to hear and receive an answer. Nana? Nana. This actually sounds maybe strange, but I think it's an actually pretty common phenomenon. It might be a roommate who cooks either frightfully or tantalizingly. I have fortunately on the one count and unfortunately on the other been privileged to both of these experiences. Drawing near enough to the mixing bowl or the frying pan to ask, what is it? Or Hmm, what is it? Drawing near enough to ask is usually close enough to begin to see and smell the answer. It might be, a, let's say, a creative child with an artistic gift, used as all human gifts are typically used both for good and for sometimes ill. Drawing near enough to the site of an experiment in creativity to ask, what are you doing? Or, huh, what are you doing? Drawing near enough to ask the question is usually close enough to begin to see or maybe even smell the answer. And just like this, the Israelites draw near enough to know the question and encounter the answer simultaneously. Manna? Manna. In the gospel reading from John, which we blessed our bread breaking with last Sunday, a crowd that was freshly uh, fed in the feeding of the 5,000 seeks and finds Jesus on the other side of the sea. And at first, that crowd is distracted by signs and wonders, stuck in the image of manna, the manna that was given to their forebears in the desert. So just last week, we read that little portion from John where they reference manna. They want a sign or a wonder. They ask Jesus for a sign and Jesus, as he so often did, 
breaks open their vision. He removes their blinders. This is like, you know, growing up in Amish country. This is like the blinders on the uh, horses to prevent them from spooking on something on the road. Jesus removes the blinders. And once their peripheral vision is a little bit more open and a little bit more liberated, they begin to hear and understand just a little bit better his discourse on the true bread of heaven, the bread of life. They want signs and wonders, manna, like their ancestors got. And he opens them up to ponder the bigger concept of the bread of life. So they start to see, they start to understand, but they still don't totally get it. And the crowd asks Jesus, well, okay, we get that. that's a good thing. Okay, you've, you've broken, us up from, broken us open from the manna, but um, never stop giving us this bread that you've described. They say, sir, sir, they call him. Sir, give us this bread always. They mistakenly think that he's in control of doling out this bread of life, and they think that they're open to receiving it if he would just give it to them. Just give it to them already and always. They are ready, and he has not yet responded. And Jesus replies to their questions. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus tells them, not that I'm just going to give this to you always, as you have requested. Jesus tells them simply they must come. Just like what Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, draw near. And whoever comes, whoever draws near, shall never again hunger. And they did come. They sought Jesus, and they got close enough to him in his wanderings to encounter something strange and unknown, indiscernible, undecipherable. They got close enough to ask a question, a question that revealed the answer that was already contained therein. Manna? What is it? Manna. Rilke writes a poem in his collection, one of my favorites, uh, Book of Hours, written in the voice of God, written in the voice of I am, or as we have recently learned, I am becoming. And there's lots of good verbs here in this poem that you're here. I am longing, ripening, wanting, growing strong. So I invite you to listen for that too. In the voice of I am. I am, you anxious one. Don't you sense me, ready to break into being at your touch? My murmurings surround you like shadowy wings. Can't you see me standing before you, cloaked in stillness? Hasn't my longing ripened in you from the beginning as fruit ripens on a branch? I am the dream you are dreaming. When you want to awaken, I am that wanting. I grow strong in the beauty you behold. And with the silence of stars, I enfold your cities made by time. The I am of this poem responds to a human one, an anxious human one, one clothed in anxiety and longing. The I am of Rilke's poem echoes the patient and steady, life-sustaining presence of the God who rained down bread on wandering Israel in the desert. 
The I am of this poem echoes the inviting and constant and life-sustaining presence of Jesus who offers the bread of life to the questioning and hungering crowd. Rilke's I am liberated Israel's God and the Jesus of the crowd all offer presence, steady presence, daily bread of life, reliable manna. Rilke's I am is ready to break into being at your touch, as Rilke so masterfully says. Liberated Israel's God implores the hungry to draw near enough to question manna. And Jesus of the crowd promises an end to hunger for whosoever comes. The God we've been invited to encounter through our scripture, that God of daily life-giving and life-sustaining bread need only be approached. And that precursor to receiving bread is the drawing near. It's coming to the Jesus who beckons. Those who draw near receive daily manna. They are fed, no longer hunger. And this, of course, makes me think of spiritual hunger, even though we started with the hangry, dehydrated Megan on a road trip who didn't pack enough stuff. Uh, the Israelites liberated into wilderness wandering, they're facing that real belly hunger. And the crowd gathered around Jesus, they're facing that real kind of belly hunger. And in both cases, the people are invited to also, to not only have that belly hunger fed and satiated, but to also learn a thing about spiritual hunger, the kind of hunger that is satiated with this elusive bread of life that Jesus speaks of. The spiritual hunger is the kind that Rilke word paints in his poem, I am the dream you are dreaming. That's hunger. When you want to awaken, I am that wanting. Approaching God with our spiritual hungers is the precursor to receiving bread. That's what I hear in this text. We need only draw near. However we draw near, in prayer, in meditation, in silence, in song, in kneading bread dough, in gardening, in dance, or yoga, or journaling, or reading poetry, or stone skipping, we need only come. And I think manna then is an apt metaphor for these and other spiritual practices. In the absence of artificial preservatives and without bread boxes or refrigerators or twisty ties, bread needed to be fresh nearly every day for it to be any good. And I found the same often to be true of my spiritual practices, my drawing near, my approaches toward God, that they're better, fresher, when they are new nearly every day. Yesterday's morning silence was lovely for yesterday and life-giving and sustaining. But today, I'm gonna need another dose of morning silence or a walk or poetry or whatever, whatever the thing is that helps me be attentive to the sacred uh, within and the sacred all around. Remember that the, the answer is the question. Drawing near enough to ask manna is near enough to see and to receive the gift of daily manna, the invitation to come, 
remains present tense. Come, again, come, keep coming day after day, draw near and receive, come and be fed. Now, before I close, the other sermon that I could have preached. (laughs) One of the other things I love about this text is how everyone receives just enough. No one too much and no one too little. No one needs to steward excess and no one needs to ask for excess to be doled out. God's economy, each one gets just enough. Thanks be to God. The God of manna, the Jesus and Jesus, the bread of new life, the I am and the I am becoming who grows strong in the beauty you behold is all around. Their murmurings surround you like shadowy wings. We need only draw near. We need only come. Our hymn of response, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. If you would like to read along the words or hum along, it's in 606 in your Voices Together hymnal, 606. Thank you. 